Greetings from the Athletics Recreation Center. A few pre-pod announcements for you. Children are to be under the supervision of a parent or guardian at all times. Valparaiso University is a smoke-free campus. Please refrain from using tobacco products anywhere on university property. We thank you for your cooperation. And now your hosts from Las Vegas, Nevada, Parker Gatewood, and from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Paul Oren. Welcome to Union Street Hoops! Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops, a weekly podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference that you can hear all over the internet. You can hear it on nwi.com, which should be your homepage. You can hear it on iTunes, which you should go there and subscribe to Union Street Hoops. Or you can go to SoundCloud and you can also hear Union Street Hoops, the somewhat, someday, soon-to-be award-nominated podcast for an award that probably doesn't even exist yet. Hope you're doing well. My name is Paul Oren. I'm your host on this wonderful ride. No Parker Gatewood this week. We'll get Parker back here to talk about the season as a whole. But right now it's March 20th, 20 days removed from the Valpo men's basketball team ending their season with an 83-79 to loss to Missouri State in Arch Madness in St. Louis at the Scott Trade Center. And it was a great time to be there for the entire run of the tournament. We've had one podcast since, and that was on March 13th. A week ago, when we had the 20-year anniversary of Bryce Drew's The Shot and everything that went on with that, Valpo eventually going out of the Sweet 16. Really thrilled to be able to bring all that content to you. We had Todd Eichau and Sean Hayden and Paul Jankowski on board for the latest episode of Union Street Hoops. And again, thank you to all of that and for all the players who helped me with the Where Are They Now and all the conversations that we had. They were great. I got to tell you, so much fun to put that together. If you haven't checked it out, go back, go to nwi.com and look for VU's Shot or VU Shot 20 Years Later. There's different names out there. Um, go to Twitter, look at the hashtag the shot at 20. I live tweeted the game. I watched it last week, Tuesday, watched it back, which was really the first time that I'd watched that game against Ole Miss in its entirety since the day that it happened. I mean, obviously I've seen the shot thousand times, but that was the first time that I'd gone back and watched beginning to end the entire game in 20 years. And it was fantastic. There were so many different storylines of that game that I didn't really understand they unfold as the game went on and it was just it was a lot of fun to go and watch that game the players were great the the people that I talked to were were just awesome to hear great stories one of my favorite stories and this kills me that I didn't get a chance to get this in and so I kind of want to tell the story right now was I talked to Jay Pfeiffer Jay Pfeiffer was a guy who was on the team was kind of toward the end of the bench for this whole thing and he he didn't even make the trip to St. Louis because he had had shoulder surgery and so he was somebody who um, he just he wasn't there but he was obviously a big part of the team he was one of the seniors one of the five I think five seniors on the team uh, you had Bryce you had Jamie you had Bill and Bob Tony Vilshinskis and then you had Jay Pfeiffer one of the six seniors on the team but one of these great stories that he told me is that uh, he said, uh, you know, he, he he was excited to play, but then he got his shoulder injured. He had it reconstructed. So it was a very humbling experience. And, you know, he said that going through that injury taught him more life lessons than had he been the guy that threw the pass. And he learned how to be a leader without playing a role. And he learned back then how to lead. And he's taken that into his life going forward. And then I talked to him, I asked him about his memories that he had, and and he said, it taught me more than anything how to be a good person. I had to bring something different to the team, to the arena. And then he talked about how he could have got down on himself. He could have really been angry at not being able to play or being hurt. And every week or every game, he would see Ryan Miller uh, in the stands. And, And you see Ryan Miller, he's at the games, he sits kind of on the baseline, and um, Ryan, who's you know obviously got a lot of things going on in life, um, he uh, he's always got a smile on his face, 
And to this day, you know, 20 years later, Ryan is still always at games. And if you've been around Valpo, you know Ryan Miller. You've seen him. And Ryan fills in uh, with Dave Huseman every once in a while on the Valpo Sports Radio Network. And he said 20 years ago, he said, Ryan Miller, of all people, is there smiling all the time. How can I be upset about not playing? How can I be upset about an injured shoulder? He said, seeing Ryan Miller every day showed me that what was happening in Valpo was bigger than any one person. Those guys at the end of the bench could have said, we're not playing, but look at Ryan. He's there smiling. So every game we would come out and we would talk to Ryan and we would talk to his dad and he would, and he just got amazing perspective about that. And then he also said that he also got humbling perspective because he guarded Bryce Drew in practice every day. And as he did that, he, you know, he knew Bryce was going to hit the shot because as he said, I'd guarded that play so many times. I'd seen Bryce hit that shot a thousand times because I was the one guarding him a thousand times. That was just one of the many little nuggets of information that I got from doing all this research. And I thought it was great. And it was a blessing to be able to tell this story. And I, I, it was just, it was a thrill for me. So thank you to everyone who reached out, who had words of gratitude about it. It was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. Another story that I really enjoyed telling uh, since the offseason has ended was my musings on the Madness article that I'll got to tell you, I've never had an article I've written about Valpo basketball, at least not since the Valpo What's Next article that I wrote after they didn't get into the NCAA, or no, excuse me, the Valpo What's the Point article that I wrote um, prior to Valpo making the NIT run two years ago. Uh, but this one even bigger than this, uh, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. And, I, and I've said this on, I think I said this on the podcast last year. Uh, certainly if I didn't say it publicly, I, I said it privately to whoever would listen to me. I thought moving to the Valley was a bad idea for Valpo. I, I just, I didn't like it. I didn't like moving away from the big cities. Uh, you know, I'm a city guy. I like Milwaukee. It's my hometown. I like going to you know, Detroit, and I like going to Cleveland, and I like, you know, checking out every, you know, I love going to Green Bay, even though it's not necessarily, you know, a, a, a booming metropolis. I enjoyed getting to go home every now and again. I liked the games against Oakland. I enjoyed the competition with Wright State. I thought it was a great league for Valpo. I didn't know anything about the Valley. I said this in the article. I didn't know anything about the geography. I'll tell you, I went to a lot of these places, and I still don't necessarily know where I was going. I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't really even look at a map in terms of, you know, still, if you gave me an outline of Illinois and you told me to pick out where Bradley is, I don't think I could point to where Peoria is um, without, you know, really needing to, to examine the map. That said, I had such a blast this past year going to all these different markets and seeing this. Detroit's great. Milwaukee's great. Cleveland's great. But, and I say this, and I don't want to sound disparaging to the Horizon League because there's a lot of good people over there. You develop good relationships over time. I've always enjoyed Commissioner LaCrone and the access that he's given me, the candidness that he's given me. He's always been a phone call away, and he's always answered my calls. And Julie over there and Chris and and all of the people who've come through the communication department over the years, I really enjoyed them. So it you know, I didn't really want to walk away from that, you know, as a reporter, not like I have any, any skin in this game, you know, there, no one's asking me what, what Valpo should do. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to see those relationships end. I didn't want to see that happen. And as I said, I like going to the cities, but I got to tell you, in Milwaukee, in, in deference to uh, a good friend of mine, Jimmy Lemke, who's a big Milwaukee supporter at Panther U, as one of the more passionate mid-major fans you'll see out there. I'm from Milwaukee, and the Milwaukee Panthers are not in the top five in relevancy in that city. And I don't say that disparagingly about them. It's just a point of fact. You've got, you know, the at any given point, the Packers and the Brewers are going to dominate the media in season or not in season. Wisconsin football, Wisconsin basketball, the Bucks, Marquette basketball. So that's five right there that are 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 huge and even even more than that. And then and then then you get into Milwaukee Panthers territory. When 
the Valley Tournament came to an end, I said uh, I sent a message to the Milwaukee beat reporter who covers the team half the year, and then he goes and covers the Brewers in 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 uh, spring training. And I said, look, I'm going to be in Detroit for the Horizon League semifinals. Milwaukee is there. Does your paper need any coverage for it? I, I've done this before. I've covered Milwaukee before. And they're in the semifinals of the conference tournament. They have a chance to go to the championship game for the second straight year. And I got a, no, they're all good. They're just going to take AP wire or whatever. And and so that may not make a whole lot of sense what I just said. You know, it's a more of a journalistic thing. But basically, you know, Milwaukee is not getting the love that they should be getting from the media. And that's because, again, it's the fifth or sixth or seventh biggest thing going on in town. I didn't know what the towns in the Valley looked like. And the, you know, every one of these teams got a beat reporter. Arch Madness was great because I was hanging out with with other reporters nonstop. And, and really, you know, once we uh, made it to the bar, it was nonstop. It was a good time and uh, a lot of fun to kind of rub elbows with these great writers who have been on the beat for a long time. And, and I'm indebted to uh, all of these individuals, Todd and Todd and Jim and Dave and Kirk and, and all of these guys for um, kind of adopting me into uh, the brethren, so to speak. So I had a lot of time, a lot of fun times with those guys. But it, it goes to show when when I was so resistant to embracing the valley and now I, I kind of think, what what was I thinking? Because. The, it's the number one show in town for all of these things. You know, uh, Evansville with uh, Pat is another individual, and Wyatt uh, from Missouri State, another couple of writers that I really enjoyed getting to know. Evansville's got a coaching opening right now, as does Missouri State. It looks like Missouri State's going to hire Dana Ford. And both of these reporters have been firing off content left and right about coaching openings, and you just haven't seen that when there have been openings at some of these other markets that just, it's not top of mind. Illinois state has got a great following and I've really enjoyed getting to, to meet and understand the Illinois state fans. Northern Iowa fans, I think are a lot like Valpo fans. They're very passionate about their team and they are very upset that their team didn't do well this year. And God forbid you mention anything about foul disparity or discrepancy or free throw discrepancies uh, on Twitter, and the Northern Iowa fans are going to uh, come screaming at you. One Northern Iowa fan told me it only took me a year to become a caricature of myself, which I actually thought was kind of a compliment. Thank you for that. And uh, so it was a blast. You don't want to hear what I have to say anymore. Um, I've got two guests on the podcast today, and uh, this is called Burying the Lead. Uh, I'm 12 and a half minutes in, and I'm going to tell you, and you already know the, from the description that you've read, but Matt Loddick is going to join us for a little bit here. I, You know, it's March 20th now, and I think this was recorded almost two weeks ago now uh, when Matt Loddick and I sat down right after the season ended. It was, uh, it was probably March 5th or 6th, I believe it was March 6th, two weeks ago today, that uh, that Matt Loddick gave me about 15 minutes of his time to sit down and talk about the end of the season. I asked him some pretty pointed questions, too, about, uh, about transfers. I asked, you know, I tried to find some scheduling news out, which he didn't offer anything up. I've heard a lot of rumblings, and when you hear scheduling rumblings, you're really not you know, none of it's confirmed, so it's difficult to to point in what direction I think uh, Valpo might be going. But I have heard the names of a couple of teams that are still alive in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, two two of them plus Loyola. So if Valpo plays Loyola the two times that they should play each other, and then they meet in the conference tournament, um, which they may or may not. That would be three games. And then if they play these other two, which I think they're going to, I'm, I can't really say because it's not confirmed. And, and uh, you know, I, all, all I'll say is that uh, it sounds like Valpo could have a pretty solid schedule next year. That said, one of the other questions I asked Matt Loddick was a question that gets, you know, criticism that gets pointed at him on the Valpo message board a lot. And, look, I love the Valpo message board. It's a lot of good passionate fans on there and it's also a place where we get a lot of good information from as reporters but 
there was a criticism of Matt Lodick throughout the year that he was not being aggressive enough with the officials and he was not he, he didn't take a technical for the team and you saw several players on the team got technicals this year and I wanted to ask Matt Lodick if there's any value to that to the criticism that he's been getting of not being you know not protecting his players so to speak and so I think you'll find Matt Lodick's answers interesting and you'll see kind of where the mindset is of Valparaiso's head coach as they come off a 15 and 17 season that saw a 6 and 12 last place finish in the Valley. Coach thank you very much for joining us here and and what's become kind of an annual end of the year thing here on Union Street Hoops. Uh, We're a couple days removed from the end of the season and I guess as you sit here now can you describe the season in one word or a series of words right now? <laughs> you know, the one thing that I thought we did, um, you know, from the start to the finish was was just we competed. You know, I thought we played hard, and you know, talking with you know fellow coaches in the league and um, you know the coaches that we played against. I mean, they they just kept harping on how hard we played, and um, you know, our team. You know, it was an adjustment here. There's no doubt about it. We were young and you know in a new league and. Uh, but we competed uh, from start to finish, so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. We talked about this throughout the year. I mean, there was, there got to a point where a lot of what we ask you in press conferences, we, we were just kind of saying the same things over and over. Mm-hmm. But one of the things, and, and maybe the fans who didn't get a chance to see those, but they listen here, the biggest difference between moving leagues, Horizon League and, and the Valley, on court, what did you see was maybe the, the one or two biggest differences? Well, I think, you know... <laughs> Yeah, you know, the the talent level um, from from top to bottom in the, in the valley was uh, you know significantly better. And you know, as I look at the Horizon League right now, um, you know, I mean, I'll let you guys make that determination, but uh, I I know we don't finish last. Yeah, um, no, I would say fourth or fifth. Yeah, I would say third probably. But but if and maybe not, you know, that's all hypothetical. Um, but um, you know, as 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 I look at like Ken Palm numbers, for instance, and something that, that I, I tend to look a lot at, um, you know, Alex freshman year compared to this year, it's it's like the dead same Ken Palm numbers. And and when we were in that league in the Horizon League, we won nine games that year. Um, and so, and, and this year we won six. So I think that you know we would have had some more wins. So I do like I think you know top to bottom it's just a, a more competitive league. Like the tenth seeded team, like we were, um, you know had Loyola in for a fight on their home floor. And um, so uh, top to bottom, you know, great league. Um, I would say that um, and we've harped on a little bit, but just um, uh, I think it's very de- defensive minded league. And you know, sometimes in um, Horizon League, there were teams that their philosophy was trying to, to score more points, and I don't think anyone in the, in the Valley tries to do that. When the, the Joe Burton situation happens, that happens with one non-conference game remaining, obviously it's a blow to your team, but how much does it derail everything you did in the non-conference? And when you go into Indiana State, are you back to square one to some extent? So a lot of what we planned on doing this year revolved around Joe. I, I thought he'd be our leading scorer, and, you know, I think he was just starting to get his feet wet when, when he went out. Um, I think his last game was at Santa Clara. What do you have, 17 points? Yeah, the, the last four or five games, he'd really kind of gotten into a groove there. And and so a lot of what we were trying to do on offense um, was predicated on, on you know him being there and his ability to make shots and, you know, really be a mismatch at, at the four, be a really big three. Um, and so the answer is yes. I mean, we, we had to kind of reinvent ourselves and um, you know a lot of what we were doing we changed by the end of the year um, especially on the, on the offensive end so um, it put guys into different roles um, it made us kind of con- you know have to find different roles for players that with expectations that you know they weren't going to be in those roles and so um, it was one of those kind of mid-season adjustments. Do you have a player that from November 10th until today you thought took the biggest leap during the season? Uh, I thought Marcus did. You know, I thought when Marcus got here um, uh, in the summertime, um, you know, there was obviously talent there, uh, but he was still trying to find his way. I think, it, you know, the, the lead that he came from at the junior college level was just a significant jump up to the Division One level, 
and um, there was an adjustment period for him. Uh, but the one thing that he did was he just continued to get better and better and better. And um, you know, with Marcus, we, we've talked to the staff, but uh, you know, we all have our like geniuses. Like some guys are you know great mathematicians, other guys um, excel at you know artistic um, things. And I think Marcus is kind of like an athletic genius. I mean, you can tell Marcus to do something one time. Um, just kind of gets it and I think if you watched our team you saw just the maturation of a player and, and by the end of the year I mean he was um, you know playing the bat one of the probably I mean, the most consistent scorer on our team. Yeah. Parker Malik and Martin all three of them had moments during the course of the year all three of them disappeared for stretches during the course <laughs> of the year um, what do you what do you need to see from them in the offseason? Um, you know the one thing that really of any player and um, I think we have a lot of players that, that need to um, I just need to have more consistency out of everyone um, and especially those freshmen like you said they had moments um, and then they you know, disappeared at times it becomes really hard to coach when guys are inconsistent and so we're going to work a lot on that and um, you know maybe you know, we've got to be consistent as coaches They've got to be consistent as players. But if I know what production I'm going to get or um, at least the, the effort that I'm going to get, then um, it makes it easier for me to put you in the game. And that's where John Kaiser has really excelled in his sophomore year. I know exactly what I'm getting out of John. Yeah. Okay, this is a tough one. The Valpo message board and Twitter both are filled with hot takes and passionate fans and oftentimes unrealistic expectations for the team for you for whatever the biggest knock that i saw on social media on you this year was you you didn't get fired up with the refs enough that's what that's what twitter tells me i don't know if i agree with that or not because i saw some veins popping out of your neck at times but and and i think they pointed to how come how come he didn't get a technical the players are getting technicals how come he's not how do you respond to that critique and is there a bit of it's the first year in the league? Let's let's kind of see how these guys are. I mean, it's a new group of officials. I I know this is a touchy subject for coaches to talk about, but what are your thoughts on on that? I don't know if it's that touchy. It's funny because you know, as, as you said that, I don't read the message boards. I, I, That's I good. That's good. Um, I'm not on Twitter, so or I am on Twitter, but I'm not consistent with it. But. Um, you know, anyone who knows me well would say, wow, if, if they're saying Matt is calm or something like that, it's not really an attribute I've heard much of. But, um, you know, for me, um, I've noticed that players tend to feed off uh, my emotion um, and the coach's emotion. So, you know, if I'm in there and continually, uh, continually uh, focusing on the refs and, and maybe, you know, some calls that I don't agree with, um, they tend to get frustrated and they tend to, you know, bark at the referees. And so, you know, for us, it's big on, you know, we've got to be able to control what we can control. Mm-hmm. I can't control um, what a ref does. And, you know, at, at times I didn't think this year we, um, you know, got calls in our favor, but, you know, it's, it's just the reality of it. I know a ref is not going in trying to say, hey, um, you know, we're going to, you know, uh, mess with Valpo today. It's just not something that they're going to do. Uh, but we are new. Um, and hopefully um, uh, we will you know, get more calls in our favor next year. Arch Madness, I know you were there for just the one game, but what were your impressions of the little bit of time that you were there? Oh, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, it was, it was a neat event and um, you know, obviously something that, that I've followed uh, for a number of years, but I thought, I thought it was fantastic. You're going to go recruiting shortly. Yeah. Uh, is there a different kind of living room that you can get into now that you're in the valley? And and do you even go into living rooms anymore? I mean, <laughs> how does how does that happen? Uh, yeah, we go into living rooms. Uh, uh, yes, I mean, there's there's different types and it opens up some doors for sure. Um, next year, obviously, the schedule is we're probably months away from knowing. Can you give any kind of preview indication of maybe not specific games, but what kind of games are you trying to find? Uh, I mean, you know, obviously we'll have our conference games. Um, you know, we're trying to put ourselves in position, um, you know, to elevate our program. And so, uh, you know, we want to play high-profile games if we can. You added Emmanuel Dildy to the staff this year. What did what did he bring? And, and I really, I, I sensed a special bond between him and Tavon Walker throughout the year. Yeah, no, I, you know, I've known Coach Dildy for a long time. You know, we went to well, rival high schools, but played against each other in high school. And, 
Um, you know, he's got a fantastic name um, in this business and uh, done a great job um, recruiting everywhere he's gone. And, you know, the one thing about, you know, him is, is I think sometimes guys can get labeled um, as recruiters. And, um, you know, Coach Ragland kind of has maybe that, that label too. Um, both, both of those um, gentlemen are just fantastic basketball minds too. And it just can't um, be stated enough. So um, he's been a great addition to the staff, um, obviously, with, you know, Coach Gore here. I really feel like we're one of the best staffs in the league, and um, and you know the the reality of kind of where we're at. We've been young. It's hard to win in this league young. Northern Iowa, who's had you know tremendous amount of success in this league, was really young this year. Um, they didn't win as many games as they're accustomed. I think the last two years they haven't won as yeah. many games as they're accustomed to. So I understand we have a you know a passionate fan base, and they want you know immediate success. And uh, you know sometimes there's just you know, when you're young, especially in a transition league year like this, it can be difficult but um, you know, we are working really hard at you know putting the pieces together to, to have sustained success in, in the Missouri Valley. Two more here uh, and this is an interesting one. Uh, the nature of Division One college basketball is, involves transfers. You've got a couple, Bakari, Brian Fazekas. You lost one in Lexus Williams last year. I guess for the fans I'm curious how do these conversations go I mean, do you have a sense of, does a guy walk into your office and say, coach, I'm gone? Or do they come in and, and, and lay things out? Or when you're going after a transfer, is it, I mean, do you know them now or do you wait till April or May? How does that whole kind of two-way side work? Well, it, you know, at the end of the year, you have meetings. And, you know, for me, um, you know, it's, we're always trying to be as, as transparent as possible. So, you know, a lot of the questions you know, from when you have those end of the year meetings are, are individual, they're team based, but they're individual based and, you know, kind of where you see, um, you know, players fitting in and, you know, sometimes they're excited about that, sometimes they're not. Um, it just kind of, um, that's on the individual. And then uh, typically, you know, players will make that de- that decision if they want to transfer or not. Um, you know, fortunately for us, we haven't had a huge amount of players leave. Um, um, and then, you know, when it, basically how it happens um, when we recruit transfers is, um, once players are released um, and they have a release from their institutions, um, we are free to contact them. And so when we have that release in hand, our compliance office gets those, then, then we contact and kind of start the recruiting process. NCAA tournament's coming up. Will you watch, or do you need to step away from basketball for a little bit? Oh, uh, I love basketball. Basketball junkie. Yeah, no, I'm going to watch. I, uh, I enjoy it. I'm, I'm watching the conference tournaments. You know, I'm you know, it's funny. I don't watch it as a fan. You know, I watch it as a coach. You know, try to see what other people are doing, and, um, uh, and you know, try to learn. Loyola, ten seed, eleven seed, twelve seed. Where? Unfortunately, where? I think they're going to get a twelve. Um, I think they're deserving of a ten or eleven, but I think they'll get a twelve. Very good. And uh, I guess any final message for the Valpo fan base here as you begin the off season, which never ever really feels like an off season. It feels like there's <laughs> consideration. Like you don't get, di- I mean, you're still come to work every day, you know? Yeah, no, um, no. What, what, what do you say to the fans after this year and, and to get them excited for the future of Valpo basketball? I would say that, um, you know, the future is bright and, uh, you know, sometimes the, the short term doesn't necessarily you know, look at the long term, but you know, for us, as I look at you know where we kind of started the conference here, not where we started the season, because I think where we started the season, I mean, obviously we're playing really well, and um, but then when we're really where we started, kind of conference. I mean, our team was just very different. We had Tavon coming back from mono, and if you watched a lot, you'd say he really wasn't himself um, towards probably the second half of the conference season, and then we lost Joe and. And so, but the guys kept fighting, and, and it was nice to see younger players start to step up. And obviously, we want guys to be a little more consistent. But um, the future is really bright, and um, you know, really excited about you know the young talent that we have, and um, adding and fine tuning a couple pieces. Um, I think we can get back to where where this program used to be. Which very is the good. Top. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great stuff there from Matt Lotta. Can really appreciative that he takes the time to come on to Union Street Hoops and share with him his thoughts and 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 his impressions of the season. One of the t- things that we talked about was Valpo playing Loyola late in the season, and Valpo hung with them and they did pretty well. And then Loyola goes on to win the conference tournament and knew they would be a tough out in the tournament. And as he said. He thought they would be a 12, although they should have been a 10 or 11. I thought they were going to be a 12, although they should have been a 10 or 11. What I was struck by when the bracket came out 
is that they were on the opposite side of the first four teams in terms of the overall seed list. Despite being an 11, they were, you know, they were on the opposite side of UCLA and St. Bonaventure and the other teams that that were in that uh, that in that mix, Syracuse and Arizona State. Loyola had to win the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament in order to get into the NCAA tournament, which I just think was ridiculous. I thought it was ridiculous then, and I certainly think it's ridiculous now as we sit here with Loyola getting ready to play Nevada on in uh, the Sweet 16 on Thursday. Before I go any further talking about Loyola, let me tell you that when I fill out a bracket, I, I always do a knee-jerk bracket that I fill out the night everything comes out like instantaneous soon as the selection show is done I fill it out and I had Duke beating Virginia in the title game I almost always just fill that out for my own personal thoughts I never do anything with it Uh, if I'm going to enter pools with friends hashtag don't bet on it uh, I will always uh, probably submit that on uh, Tuesday morning I'll do research all day Monday and submit it on Tuesday morning there's two reasons for that. One, I pick the winner of the first four games. I think if you wait to fill out a bracket until Thursday, you're not you're not a, you're not real. You're some sort of illusion. You're a simulation. You're a fake. You're a fraud. I think if you don't pick the first four games, you're a loser. I'll say it. I'm married to that right now. You are a loser if you don't pick the first four games because they're part of the NCAA tournament. There are 67 games. Those games count. And, yeah, do you know who's going to win between NC Central and Texas Southern? You should be a sports fan. Um, Okay, look, I'll get off my high horse there. Uh, I had Texas Southern winning, but I had LIU Brooklyn winning. I I got that one wrong. Um, I also had UCLA winning. I got that one wrong. And I had Syracuse winning. So I was uh, two for two in my first four games. But – if I enter a bracket pool or, or if I talk about my bracket, I have one bracket. I I don't appreciate people who have multiple brackets. You know, unless you're one of those people who just likes to have fun and you say, okay, I've got a bracket for uh, this is which mascot would win in a fight or this is, uh, you know, wh- whatever you come up with. This is the higher average ACT score for that school. Or I think John Bowker, the PA announcer, does a bracket of proximity to the chapel on Valpo's campus. And I think Purdue and Loyola are, are battling each other in the title game in that bracket. But when people say that, oh, you know, Virginia losing busted all of my brackets, shut up. You should have one bracket, a sheet of integrity. I'm, I'm big on this. Now, I deviated from that. I have the same Final Four. I think I'm in, I'm in uh, three or four different, we'll call them for entertainment purposes only, uh, pools with my friends. And I had, uh, I had the same Final Four, uh, Duke winning over Gonzaga in the title game, and then Cincinnati and Villanova also in the Final Four. And I was looking pretty. I was looking good until Cincinnati found a way to blow a 22-point lead in the second half against Nevada. So I picked Loyola to beat Miami. Was 100% certain that Loyola would beat Miami. Was not an upset to me. I thought that Miami didn't look great throughout the course of the year. I've watched a lot of ACC basketball. Uh, I think Lonnie Walker is his name. I think he's like the only guy on the team that I could really come up with. It just there was nothing there to me that I felt good about Miami. And I thought that Loyola played disciplined. They looked really good in the Valley Tournament. And what I really thought the reason why I put him over the edge was that Clayton Custer, the best player in the Valley, did not particularly have a good conference tournament. So it led me to believe that we hadn't seen Loyola firing on all cylinders. I was sure they were going to win. Now we move on to the second round. I knew Wright State didn't have a chance against Tennessee, just not a chance. And I, I, I will get that to that in a second. But now it's Loyola against Tennessee in the second round. And I didn't think Loyola would win that as much as I was pretty sure Tennessee would lose, if that makes sense. I almost wanted to 
do a thing where I could pick Loyola to beat Miami in case I was, you know, because I really thought that was going to happen. But then I kind of wanted to put Miami into the Sweet 16 over Tennessee in case I was wrong in the first one. I was certain that Miami would beat Tennessee. I just uh, I thought Tennessee was a fraud. And so I think in the first pool bracket I filled out, you know, and I did them all kind of back-to-back-to-back one on Tuesday morning. I picked Loyola to get to the Sweet 16. And then I talked myself out of it. Uh, I said, no, they, they, they can win one, but I how hard is it to win a second one? And I put Tennessee in the other three that I filled out. Every other game was the same. Of the 67 games that I picked, every other one was the same. And so, uh, except for that Loyola-Tennessee matchup. So I can kind of tell you that I had Loyola in the Sweet 16, but I kind of can't because in 75% of them, I did not. But the first one I filled out, I did. Uh, Also, here's another thing. Just like bad beat stories in poker and your fantasy football team, nobody cares about your bracket either, and you guys don't care about mine, so I'll shut up. Okay, okay. Uh, The Valley Tournament was awesome. Arch Madness was a great time. I stayed from beginning to end. I talked about it a little bit. And then I did something crazy. I I took the Amtrak home from St. Louis, and on Monday I turned around and drove from Chicago to Detroit because I wanted to see the Little Caesars Arena. I wanted to see the semifinals of the Horizon League Tournament. And I I was going to stay to the finals. When Milwaukee won on that Sunday, they beat uh, UIC, and then Oakland beat IUPUI. Those are the two teams. I've I've got still some friends that work at Milwaukee, people that I've known and grew up around a little bit. And then, uh, you know, I've never been shy about the fact that I've known Greg Campy for 20 years and really have appreciated him. and, and, uh, and, And I wanted to see Oakland, you know, finally get a chance to win the big one, despite the fact that they were, uh, you know, they, they, and they were playing Cleveland State. They were playing a team with 22 losses that somehow had upset Northern Kentucky. So I was sure Oakland was going to get their way into the conference championship game and would play probably Wright State uh, in, in that game. So sure enough, I, uh, I drive to Detroit, and it was really odd. It was a very odd feeling. I got to Detroit, and... I, you know, the Horizon League was nice enough to hook me up with a media pass, despite the fact that, I, I mean, I, I tweeted out a little bit, but I really wasn't working. Um, but again, nice to them. And it was really odd. It's kind of like if, if if you went to high school or college and then you go back for homecoming the next year and you still kind of know everybody that's at school, but you don't really belong there anymore. That's how I felt. It was a very odd feeling. Not that I was better than that, because that's not what I'm saying, but you just don't belong anymore. The machine marches on, and it marches on without you. I got there just as Commissioner LeCrone was delivering his State of the the League address, and that was an event the last couple years that has been big to sit down to talk about expansion, to talk about all the different things that are going on, And I kind of sat in the back of the classroom, so to speak, and observed, but I didn't have any questions. It wasn't my place. Tony Paul does a great job covering the league. Uh, You've got a lot of really good reporters that are still there. And I kind of just sat back, and it was nice to kind of walk around and say hi to everybody. And it was awkward because they're like, a lot of people are like, so what's Arch Madness like? We're better, right? And it was like, look. It's just different, right? I mean, I had a blast at Arch Madness. Motor City Madness, I still think, I mean, they got to do something with that. They have not been given any favors by the fact that the top teams have been knocked out of this tournament every year. The number one seed has lost their first game every year. Northern Kentucky, Oakland, and Valpo the last three years. The number one seeds haven't won. The number two seeds haven't done much better until Wright State this year broke through. Uh, but in Oakland has you know finally won their first game this year. Detroit hasn't done much. I, Little Caesars Arena is amazing. It's a great, great venue. And I went back a week later for the NCAA tournament games and saw Butler and Purdue and Michigan State and then Syracuse and TCU. Amazing facility and would have loved for Valpo to have played there in the Horizon League tournament. But 
the Scott Trade Center ain't so bad either. It was just a weird feeling to go back into to be there. And I was going to stay for the championship game. And then my hometown Milwaukee Panthers got beat. Uh, but before that, Oakland got beat at the end. And it was like, do I really want to watch Wright State against Cleveland State? No disrespect to either one of those programs. But I don't really – I mean, it's – Cleveland State's got a brand-new coach this year. Wright State got a new coach last year. I didn't really – I don't have any relationships with, with those guys. The Cleveland State radio guy and the SID are great. I uh, really enjoy them. But, uh, you know, so I drove home at like 4 o'clock in the morning. So it was, uh, it was a blast. It was, uh, it was a good time. But it was different, and and you kind of feel like you know when you go back for homecoming that first year, and you're like, you know what, it's time to, it's time to move on a little bit. It's just different. So obviously, still have friends that are in that league, and hope to hope to continue to see them and everything down the road, and and obviously would love for Valpo to play Oakland and Valpo to play Milwaukee, and a couple of those other teams I think can be good non-conference games down the line. Loyola wins. They go on to the Sweet 16. How awesome for the Valley is that? Wichita State gets bounced in the first round. I don't have a dog in the fight because I wasn't around for the Wichita State years, but I can tell you that I think some people were pretty happy that Wichita State got knocked out, especially by a team named Marshall. I mean, how fitting is that? That's awesome. So what does Loyola's win mean? Well, for that, I wanted to reach into the league office, and I got a really wonderful uh, sit-down here with a member of the Missouri Valley Conference. Joined now by the Associate Commissioner from the Missouri Valley Conference, Mike Kern. Mike, thank you very much for taking the time here today. It's Monday. It's a couple days after all the craziness of the first week of the NCAA tournament. How happy is, is St. Louis right now after Loyola has made the run? Well, we're obviously elated. It's, it's a it's a big story, and you know, Sister Jean has taken the world by storm. She's an international sensation, as she should be. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing for our league, and certainly a wonderful thing for Loyola. I really love the fact that she pointed out that she's an international star, not just a national star. Uh, one of the she's sweetest. She's the darling of all media uh, here and abroad. It's crazy because I mean, again, I, 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 when when Valpo came back into the league with Loyola. You know, I said to Bill Barons at Loyola, I need a Sister Jean bobblehead. Um, they had just come out when Val, when Loyola left to join the Valley, and he said, I'll get you one, I'll get you one. And then he gave me one at the Coach of the Year luncheon in St. Louis, and Loyola hasn't lost since. I'm not saying that I have anything to do with it, but it's the power of the Sister Jean bobblehead, I think. That and probably the Gryffindor scarves that are all running around. I'm guessing those are hard to get by too right now. And Clayton Custer and Dante Ingram and Ben Richardson and all of that. I mean, they're all they're all doing great. Were were you were you there for the games or kind of what what what's the responsibility of the conference when Loyola is in the in the tournament? Uh, we don't have a really a working function other than to maybe to talk to the TV talent and educate them. But Bill, but Bill's also done. Bill Barron's, as you mentioned, is a loyal, loyal uh, SID. Uh, so we, we support them mostly uh, by uh, rooting for them when we're on site. But we do help try to meet with national media when we're on site. Jack and Doug went on this one, and we're actually slated to go to uh, Omaha this weekend because we are a future host, and that's the site we've been given. So three of our staff will be there. Three other staff members will be in Atlanta to, to see if they can get the rim. There's a couple more wins. It's just it's so it's so interesting to see this run and really and and to the way they've done it with with not making mistakes down the stretch. And I think really what we saw in the conference tournament is what they're doing really well here. The question that a lot of people have been having is what does this mean for the league? The, winning in the NCAA tournament is no stranger for the Missouri Valley Conference, been doing it for a long time. But what, I guess from a financial situation, what does each game that Loyola plays, what does it mean to the league? Well, each game that they they play is about 270000 to the league, but that's extrapolated over a six-year period. So it's more like $1.6 million over time, uh, divided by, basically about divided by the 10 members. Now, Loyola will get a, a half of a share for each site that they visit, so just to cover their travel costs. So in essence, they'll get um, 
one extra full share because they're going to two different sites. They'll be in Dallas and Atlanta and, and maybe a third share should they get to San Antonio. But it's a, it's a lot of money for the league. Uh, it, it helps us um, in many ways that you can imagine. And, you know, in, in a few years there's going to be an academic component that comes into play as well that's that's worth a, a different kind of unit. But it's a, it's a good chunk of change, too, starting in 2020, I believe, is the first that, that we get that. So this is an interesting question, is that, you know, the ACC, I'm sure that each year they can bank on they're going to get X amount of teams in the tournament. They're probably going to have X amount of teams advance. They've got four now in the uh, Sweet 16 with the chance that they'll get more and more going on. So I would think that in their budgeting process, they know that they're going to get X amount of dollars every year from this. Is this non-traditional revenue, so to speak, for a conference like the Valley that, uh, you know, again, you've got teams be successful, but I don't know that you can ever bank on the fact that you're going to have multiple games being played. No, that's true. We we don't bank on it. We What we do is we budget for a unit and a half per year, which allows us to have a, a year where we only play one game and in, in years where we play multiple games, three this year at least. Um, it does, over time, kind of balance out. So we've you know, historically that one and a half unit budgeting for us has worked. So that that's how we do it. Now, you're right, the ACC and all the other power leagues uh, can expect however many units they get every year. And they, they do budget into theirs. I'm sure that they're going to get so many and, and go deep into the tournament as they always do. But for us, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's something we do budget for, but we're not overly aggressive when we, when we budget for that. And this may be an unfair question to you, but I would then think when a league like the Pac-12 only gets three units in a year, that, that's got to be a problem for them. Um, you know, I, I guess just... What? How exciting is it to to kind of see the mid major programs do well, and does it represent a kind of paradigm shift of any kind? I wish it did. You know, there there hasn't been a whole lot of access to the tournament for the mid major leagues in the past three or four years, in particular, with uh, generally averaging one um, at large bid for for conferences like ours over the last three or four years. Um, it, it is, you know, quite frankly, it's, it's why Wichita State was shopping for another home because they, they thought their access to the tournament was uh, limited. And, um, you know, they got a better seed this year than they have in, in years past. And they're in a conference that sent three schools. Um, and, and it's good for Wichita State. Certainly it's, it's good for us because that's how it's in our league now. We expect those And I guess I'll end with this question here. Valpo's first year obviously didn't go the way that Valpo planned. First losing season in quite a long time. Um, finished in last place in the league. Uh, there was jokes uh, on the message boards, which we're never supposed to read those, but it's it's good humor about buyer's remorse or anything like that. And obviously I'm not even going to ask if you have that. But but Loyola came into the league and finished 4-14, and 14, I think, their first year and struggled. Uh, is there a window that, I mean, do people understand that Valpo and the league will, will take some time? I, I think I think so, and I think it'll be a quick process. Uh, Valparaiso has been a proven winner in every league they've been a part of, and we expect that to be the same in our league. Um, and, and you're right, Loyal, the first couple of years, people were unsure of the direction we were going, but there's a lot of support at, athletically in, in, in that in that school, and uh, obviously they've made great progress in men's basketball and some other sports, too. It's not just about men's basketball for us, but they certainly have um, raised a lot of eyebrows with their run this year in the NCAA tournament. March 22nd, Loyola against Nevada, 6.07 p.m. on CBS, and then the winner will play the winner of Kansas State and Kentucky. Mike, thank you for joining, and uh, best of luck the rest of the college basketball season, which hopefully is going all the way to San Antonio. That would be great. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thanks to Mike Kern for taking the time to chat. Again, really have appreciated everybody that I've met at the Valley this year. Doug Elgin, uh, Mike Kern, Jack Watkins, all of the people have just been fantastic. And and really, I've wanted for nothing throughout all of my time covering all the SIDs and all that. It's been great. And uh, looking forward to seeing all of them, hopefully, at Missouri Valley Conference Media Day here coming up in October. We have a long way to go before that, not the least of which is the Sweet 16 coming up. Uh, Kentucky will beat Kansas State in a rout. I'm going to take Loyola over Nevada, Gonzaga over Florida State, Michigan over Texas A&M, although I think that game's going to be really close and it could go either way. 
And now I'm actually kind of leaning Texas A&M a little bit. I think that game's a coin flip. Uh, Villanova-West Virginia, I think, should be the game of the round. I think that game will be fantastic. I really like Javon Carter from West Virginia. Every time I watch him play, I'm reminded of how good Keith Carter was and how much it's just terrible that Keith Carter never really got a full collegiate career. I still think Villanova wins that one, although I would not be shocked if West Virginia, although they've got 10 losses this year, I think West Virginia defensively can play very well against Villanova. I just think Villanova wins. Uh, Texas Tech against Purdue. Keenan Evans has hobbled Isaac Haas if they can figure out a way to engineer a, a, a brace for him. There's a lot of firepower on that Purdue team, but you know, closer than it probably should have been against Butler. Texas Tech escaped against Florida. Probably a coin flip. I guess I'll go Purdue in a close one. Kansas should take care of Clemson. No problem, although Kansas does tend to slip up from time to time. They didn't look great against Penn. They had a dogfight against Seton Hall. Devontae Graham needs to really deliver against Clemson. Would be nice to see David Scara uh, make some moves there and, and, and get to the Elite Eight. And then I think Duke should beat Syracuse, but you'd never know what that zone is going to do. Syracuse scored 57 and 55 points and 60 points in the first four game, and they have uh, they've advanced with three wins. That would take us to the Elite Eight, where I think Kentucky beats Loyola. Gonzaga beats the winner of Michigan-Texas A&M to go on to the Final Four. Villanova should take care of Purdue. And Duke, I think, if they can play like they did in the first weekend— I think Duke is the team to beat, and I think they beat Kansas. And then uh, Duke over Villanova and Kentucky over Gonzaga. If Kentucky is playing well, uh, I'll be honest with you. I put Gonzaga in the Final Four, and then I realized I hadn't watched them play a game all year long. Uh, And they didn't look great against Greensboro, and they persevered over Ohio State. Maybe they can uh, get by Kentucky. I think that's a coin flip, but I think right now this is Duke's tournament to lose. Don't trust me for anything because I don't know the answers. Uh, It should be exciting. Looking forward to it. So uh, Parker Gatewood will be back here in the next week or so. I know we call ourselves a weekly podcast, but it's the offseason, and that means that while basketball is winding down, other responsibilities like softball are winding up, and uh, we got a lot of season preview stuff going on there. Looking forward to that. So uh, we'll probably be back before the Final Four to do a little bit of a preview and to chat about what uh, what's going on in the Valpo basketball universe, if there's any news. David Raglan apparently interviewed for the Evansville job. Give Pat Hickey a follow on Twitter to be able to find all of that information, and we'll see if there's any Roster news, not expecting anything at the moment, but you never know. College basketball being what it is, people transfer left and right, whether that, that's going to happen at all. I think you saw a very tight-knit Valpo team, guys that really love each other, love playing with each other. They're very close. You saw them get better toward the end of the year. Maybe all of these guys are, are still bought in and want to see this thing through the end, or maybe some of them decide they'd like to play more somewhere else. Don't know the answer to that, but we look forward to asking the questions down the line. Thanks again for listening, everybody, to Union Street Hoops, which you can catch every week on NWI.com and on iTunes. Take care, everybody.